to the Women's World Cup Daily on the Total Soccer Show. Brazil put up an impressive stance, but they couldn't triumph over France. The French didn't let Brazil get into their rhythm, and Wendy Renard getting a header was a given. Meanwhile, Sweden took to the field with plenty at stake and ended up drinking Italy's milkshake. And Jamaica <laughs> were anything but banal as they eliminated the nation with the canal. Oh, that was that was easily my worst one yet. My name's Ryan. That was good, man. I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Taylor Rockwell. My name's Ryan Bailey. Taylor Rockwell, as I just yes, mentioned, sir. you are joining me on this here slightly chaotic already podcast. How are you, sir? I, I am good, and I feel like that is a good entry point to what this episode is going to be, because no Graham and no Joe equals chaos right away. Dynamic duo, that's what we call it, right? <laughs> I think so, I think so. Have you been on every Women's World Cup show thus far? Are you the only TSS co-host to have done every single show? The only one who gets a VSP entry every day, you mean? Yes. Ooh, mm. I did wonder about that. I did, mm. I did have a moment of like, is Graham going to send his VSPs even though he's not on this episode? <laughs> I'm not sure he did. I'm checking the document. There's none in there, but we, we still have time for him to do so. We do indeed. He's, the minutes are counting down for that, but yes, indeed. <laughs> Plenty to get to on today's show, Tata. I think we had mm-hmm. one of the biggest games of yep. the tournament so far, perhaps the most entertaining as well. We'll get to that very shortly. And we had other games too. <laughs> but before we get there, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show for all our bonus content if you want to check it out. Listener, we appreciate you supporting us here and on that feed and for listening to us on the weekend when you do weekend things. Thank you very much, listener, <laughs> indeed. Uh, Taylor, should we get straight to it with France versus Brazil? France. Ooh, that, was, France. that was very American of you. Well done. I won't get me some France. That's how I say it these days. Um, it was a 2-1 win for France over mm-hmm. Brazil. A very good atmosphere. I don't know if it was like the broadcast mix, but it sounded very loud in the stadium. Uh, 49,000 fans mm-hmm. were in there in um, Brizzy. That's what we call it. That's what the Australians oh, no. call Brisbane. That's uh, oh, no. trans- yeah. We're continuing the the uh, the abbreviations. Uh, the abbreviations, excuse me, if I want to keep the theme going. Yeah, yeah. great atmosphere. I think it being Brazil uh, helped a lot with that. They seem to have brought a pretty sizable traveling contingent obviously there's some french supporters as well but definitely larger cheers for brazil which i think was needed because france were were pretty dominant from the jump Mm. Uh, and i think brazil were able to get back into it and i do give the crowd some credit for that i think you need that momentum when the game isn't going your way and i think they had it for at the very least a very brief spell in this game yeah, definitely. And it did seem, from what I saw, most of the crowd, or the majority of fans who were partisan, mm-hmm. were Brazilian in the stadium yeah. as well. So that was definitely contributed. Uh, France captain, as we mentioned at the top, Wendy Renard getting the header uh, to win this one after Eugene Le Sommer opened it. And that was cancelled out by Debinha. Both of those first two goals, pretty great finishes, by the way. Taylor, this is the 11th meeting between these two sides. Brazil has still never beaten France. This was the sixth French win. They have this series nailed down. There was a moment when I thought maybe they would get their first ever win when it was one-to-one, and it felt like the momentum had shifted a little bit. And then France just sort of found their way back into it and ground out to get that win. I agree with what you said in the beginning, Ryan. I think this was the most entertaining game of the tournament. Maybe for a neutral, the U.S.-Netherlands game was was as entertaining, but this one had one more goal, so that always helps. Uh, But I, I felt like this one was... More back and forth in interesting ways, though largely, I think, dominated by France, who came out very aggressive in a way they did not against Jamaica on both sides of the ball. There were lots of sort of physical defensive plays that sometimes resulted in fouls, oftentimes did not. This one got physical pretty quickly. But then there was a directness in the way they wanted to play combined with, I think, good passing at the same time so that really Brazil were up against it for the first at least 20 to 30 minutes. It felt Mm. like they were 
trying to find some opportunities, trying to play on the break, but oftentimes giving the ball back to France or not really holding it up enough to establish any level of control in this one. Uh, and I think France got the the, the deserved uh, go-ahead goal for that reason. Indeed. I, I'm going to put something to you, Taylor, that might be controversial, and you might not agree, or you might not have an answer, but hmm. I think this might have been the best Women's World Cup game I've ever seen. Really? Uh, I thought the USA-Netherlands was a very high standard as well. I also, I'm, a, I'm quite aware that I'm not very smart and I'm affected by recency bias because we just watched this game today. But I thought that the technique on display, it was so mm-hmm. physical, there's a lot of skill. And when it was 1-1, it was so open. It was really fun as well. It seemed to have all the ingredients. And I just thought that the technical levels and y- y- what was on display just seemed yep. just that little bit higher than everything else we've seen so far. And maybe, once again, recency bias, but maybe my favorite Women's World Cup game we've seen. I mean, I am not in a position to agree or disagree with you on the best games that you have seen, uh, but I will say it was a very good game and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I do think the officiating plays a part in that because there are yellow cards uh, relatively early in this game and then a couple more as the game goes on, but it wasn't over-officiated. It didn't take any any of the energy out of it. It just felt like it was policed when things got a little bit over the top, a little bit too aggressive, a little bit too reliant on the physicality. Mm. Uh, and because of that, I think you did get some of the physical challenges, which led to a few just kind of spicy, semi-spicy moments. Uh, and, and I think that also elevated the performance of both teams and and did also kind of foster that, that dramatic feeling, especially as it's one-to-one late into the game. And... You don't know if it's going to finish this way, because if it does, France are in not a lot of trouble, but at least some trouble with only two points from their first two games. Yeah. So that they're able to get that win also, I think, elevates this one uh, because of what it could mean for them going forward in this tournament. Yeah, definitely. So and on those challenges, Taylor, I, I think that kind kind of encapsulated where the key battle was. And it was in the middle third of the pitch. Yeah. It was a midfield battle, wasn't it? Lots of... Uh, I, I, agricultural challenges I guess you call it it was Lu- yeah. Luana and um, Sandy Teletti who both got yellow cards for fairly aggressive actions mm-hmm. in the middle of the pitch yeah. it was basically that That for me was where France had the edge because they just stopped Brazil's get, uh, forwards getting service and whenever Brazil's forwards did get out wide they were sort of they were, they were trapped back in that mm-hmm. midfield basically That, from my perspective that was kind of how France did it yeah and, and I think there were moments in this game when Brazil are able to kind of play out of what the French were doing and create some opportunities. Obviously, they get a goal. Uh, but, but again, it felt to me like they were creating on a more individual or maybe a couple players together element versus like team-wide play that allows them to really control the flow of the game to slow it down where they need to or speed it up as needed. And what I also thought was interesting is that France seemed pretty aware of the fact that uh, uh, Tamiris, the uh, left back, uh, will be very aggressive in trying to get forward for Brazil. That's a big part of their attack. Uh, Attackers move inside, and that clears out that whole channel. And as a result, at least two times in the opening 20 minutes, and then I would argue for the goal itself, basically, France, when they win the ball, are looking to go diagonal and long into the space where Tamiris would be, but because she's gone forward, it no longer is. And I think... It had a dual purpose of, or it had a dual result of number one, leading to the goal. It's not that she's out of position there. It's just a, a good ball to the back post. But they had, they, France had hit that several times in that half. And I think once they're up 1 0, it also has the added effect of now, if you're Brazil, do you continue to send her forward? Do you let that player get involved? I felt like she stayed home a little bit more to see out that half. But as a result, I think Brazil's ability to build consistent attacks was further limited. Hmm. Uh, let's talk about the winning goal, Taylor. Wendy Renard's goal. Is she unmarkable? I, 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 and obviously, we can blame the defending. Try. It, wasn't, it wasn't the best defending. <laughs> no, but, it was not. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just seems 
no, no matter what anybody tries, they can't contain her in these scenarios, in these set-piece scenarios. And that was Graham's VSP. He won his VSP based on that goal because mm. Wendy Renard doing Wendy Renard stuff. But it like it doesn't seem like you can like person man-to-man mark or person mark her. It, I, don't, I don't know what works. One could try. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I hear you because she is so good in the air so consistently and has been for so long. This goal, though, much as I want it to just be like Wendy Renard outfights everybody, Brazil just kind of let her go. I yeah. don't understand what they're doing. It's Andresa Alves and Luana, I think, are the two who were theoretically tracking her. But Andresa Alves ends up being the one who sort of gets posterized on this goal. She's the one who's sort of trailing Renard. She puts the header in. But Alves is engaged by another French player. She seems to be marking that player. It seems to me that Luana is meant to be with Randy Renard. But... Neither one of them is within three, four, five yards of her. And when she is far and away the biggest, most important threat for France, to have nobody on her tight. So at the very least, even if she gets by you, she has to adjust her run. That's the biggest thing for me on corners and set pieces is even if the person's going to beat you for speed or for height, if you make them have to change their approach angle or change what they're doing, it puts them off a little bit and maybe they don't get there in time or maybe they're in the wrong space in the wrong moment. And here, because no one is close enough to her, uh, she sort of has a quick step towards the uh, near post and Luana completely runs towards the near post. I think she's just ball watching. Renard then drifts to the back post. It felt to me like a design play because no one is on her. Uh, Alves, I think, is is too late to recognize, oh no, this is bad. And by the time she does, she's dusted and, and beaten. So it's I think it's a great design set piece because it finds Wendy Renard wide open at the back post. But it's also pretty poor from Brazil to not disrupt her in any way. Though your question still stands, even if they'd had like four on her, there is that sort of inevitable feeling about Wendy Renard that she's going to make something happen, even if you have defenders literally hanging on her back. I I think to give yourselves a fighting chance of uh, defending her in a a set piece situation, maybe put a defender on her rather than just like an field and attacker just an idea yeah maybe yeah well, yeah front and follow just screener disrupt her run whatever it may be draw the foul but in this case brazil went for the just let her roam free and see what happens and what happened is she scored the winner i think deservedly so she did indeed who are your standouts in this one tato i think eugene needs some needs a shout out mm-hmm. uh, with the with that headed goal um she had one saved as well the he- headers yeah. very well taken here um, that was a 90th goal in 181 appearances every other game. That's pretty good statistics. Um, and yeah. I thought, yeah, she had a pretty standout game in this one. Yeah, and especially for a player who was frozen out by the former manager, right. uh, Karine Ziaka, to come back in and get this goal in the way she did. Uh, pretty important moment to go up on Brazil, a Brazil team that looked really good in their opener. I think Gianni also has the uh, the headed assist off this one. It's Karchawi with that long ball, that long mm-hmm. diagonal. Gianni heads it back across, and then Lesamer is there for the the nice sort of uh, glancing header into the side netting. Uh, but that whole play, sort of route one as it was, I thought was really, really technically well done in that it's a long ball, so there's one touch. It's a header back across, there's one touch, and it's a header into goal. So three touches, three players. You cover about 60 yards with that one. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I, I think also France changing their shape into what looked to me to be a 4-4-2 with Gianni and Les Amer up top. I thought was was pretty smart from Hervé Renard. I thought to kind of mirror what Brazil's shape was going to be, but then do it better, which is what I would say France did. I thought that was pretty pretty wise and then led to fewer mismatches or fewer sort of uh, moments in which France didn't have people where they needed to be or allowed Brazil to get overloads. 
I also think some of the starting 11 made a lot more sense to me. Grace Gayoro being much more involved in this game on both sides of the ball, but especially in how she can evade pressure uh, and sort of keep possession while doing so yeah. was just a, an important fulcrum in in how france were able to tr- transition to attack but then also maintain that possession and again just continue to put their foot on the ball and slow the game down when they needed to to then accelerate when they needed to i thought she was pretty excellent as well yeah Gioro and toletti in the middle there that yeah. were really important yeah. as i mentioned the midfield battle they were pretty critical in that battle do we feel better about evernard's um approach and his his leadership here uh second yeah. game over first i presume we do I, I do. I, I do. Because I think he, he gets his starting 11 and the change there correct. I think mm-hmm. he gets the tactics correct. And then he makes important changes, uh, not least of which was uh, bringing on Becho in the second half. Uh, I didn't know much about her. Now I know that she's fast. Uh, mm-hmm. Brazil know that too, but a little bit late. Uh, she is the one that basically on her own, it's from a goal kick. It bounces to her. She's checked back and I think controls it and then heads it forward for herself and just runs through the Brazilian back line. Uh, she closes maybe maybe 15 yards faster than any of them realize she will. And so it has to be put out for the corner and it's from that corner that Wendy Renard scores. But I feel like that bringing in that individual speed and that one V one ability can be a difference maker when you're going up against tired legs. So I, yeah. I, I do think that we saw more of the depth of this French team. We saw more of Hervé Renard and what he can do on the tactical side of things. And then we saw big performers for them. I mean, when we talk about, key performers for France. You want it to be your two central midfielders. You want it to be Les Amer. You want it to, to be Diani, and you want it to be Wendy Renard. And so all of them having strong games, I think you see what happens. And for them to go for a good chunk of this game from another one-to-one draw, they looked good, but not good enough. They only mm. have two points from two games. What's going to happen next? They're probably going to win, but still, like it's not the way you want it to go to now getting this win over a Brazil team that I still think looked very good. The narrative on this seems to be, oh, Brazil weren't quite as good. Maybe Panama were just really poor. I thought this was them also having a very good game, and I think that's what made this such a compelling fixture. Uh, I, I think sometimes they didn't have the possession the way I think they could have or should have. But at the same time, when you have players like Dabinia who can just create from nothing over and over again, I don't know if you need that because I think you can blitz teams the way the way they sometimes do Brazil. And I think it's a it's a credit to Dabinia that her goal in this one, though she has many good moments, is off of a deflected shot that she reacts to faster than anyone on the pitch. She is making a sort of framing run when the shot is taken. So if it's spilled by the goalkeeper, she's going to be in a really good position to tap home any loose ball. But because she's already sort of on her toes, ready to receive, ready to react, when that ball deflects to her, I I want to say it's a an outside of the foot, so like a Travella settle, and then an instep volley. The first touch is so it's like outside of the right foot, and then inside of the right foot volley. Yeah, I believe yeah. is is the the two touch sequence. But the brilliance of that first touch sets her up to have complete control with the second for that finish. It's just those little moments that make a player go from very very good to world class, and I would say Dubinia world class even mm. in defeat. Uh, Brazil never won a World Cup game having fallen behind, so they pretty much had it up against them from the start in this one. I did see like, the BBC report for this game said that Brazil were a shadow of the side that won against Panama. I, I Like you, I don't agree with that because yeah. I think they were still pretty high quality yes. in this one. They just faced a much more high quality opposition. Yeah, and- I, that feels to me like maybe people are discounting France after that draw. And I think mm. you can do that to your own detriment. But it, I think we also see teams... Especially a team, this team that has only had Hervé Renard in charge for what, three months or something like that. I think they've only played three or four games under him. 
and yeah. uh, before the tournament that is uh and so i think they're still figuring things out they're still finding their rhythm and they don't start particularly well in that first game for sure we talked plenty about that but i think if you then expected this to be like oh brazil won five no they're gonna beat france two no it's gonna be no no opportunity I came into this one thinking, I feel like it's going to be 1-0 or thereabouts to France. And and that's more or less how this played out. So I think I'm not as surprised by the way it went down. I think that France are able to rally is a very strong sign for what will come next for them, uh, yeah. which I'm going to assume is a complete and thorough beatdown of Panama. Well, we shall see. We shall see. This group is delicately poised. But Taylor, before we get to the uh, permutations of the third game, I think I figured out why I like this game so much. Please. Uh, the national anthems. Both mm. tier mm-hmm. one anthems, the Marseillaise and uh, the Brazilian Hino Nacional anthem as well. They are both like easily top five mm-hmm. in the world. They were both belted out in this instance. And there was a wonderful bit on the broadcast when the French, when the Marseillaise finished and they got to the end of the line of the players uh, with, with the camera and the, the players at the end all went together. Allez, allez, allez! Mm-hmm. And it was just, oh, the energy was up. It was great. That really cut me up. It's the energy. It's the atmosphere. It's the officiating. It's the players. It's the tactics. It's the managers. And then I would add, it, the kith color as well is always mm-hmm. just like the, the, the French blue, the Brazilian yellow, uh, maybe that's because of like the 98 World Cup and that will forever have significance to yeah. me. But since there, that feels like just a, a lovely, you want that clash on the green pitch. And and I feel like that was also a, a really nice moment. You want both teams basically wearing their primary colors. It's always odd mm-hmm. when you tune in to a team wearing not quite the primary color and it takes a moment to recognize which team is which. Whenever Like like Korea playing Morocco uh, later tonight slash this morning slash I don't even know what time is anymore. I don't know who's going to wear red and who's going to wear white, but I'm guessing one will wear one and one will wear the other and it will be momentarily confusing Mm. with france and brazil you know who's wearing what and you can sort of track it that much more you do indeed and on france 98 vibes also jamaica of course in this group who very much Mm. made their debut in the men's world cup of 98 some more uh vibes going there and jamaica brazil two same colored kits effectively playing each other in the third game as well Uh that game jamaica brazil is on wednesday that's going to be huge (laughs) because a draw for jamaica will keep brazil out yeah. of the knockout rounds data that yeah. is exciting going into this third round of games it is and i i don't know what i want from that one because i think this brazil team were so fun in that first game i think they were very good in this game just not good enough or at the very least they were good if not great in this game so if they do end up drawing that game and getting knocked out it will feel harsh for a team that i think could be good and could be very fun going forward in this tournament at the same time I mean, come on, we want Jamaica to get out of this group, like, <laughs> yeah. not just for CONCACAF reasons, but because it's their first ever, no, excuse me, their second ever World Cup, right? This was yep. their second ever World Cup goal, uh, their their first ever win. Uh, they did so without Bunny Shaw, who is far and away their best player. Yeah. Uh, and, and so for them to still get the results, even against Panama, even against CONCACAF opposition, you just got to beat the team that's in front of you. We talked about this after the Jamaica-France game and how detrimental this could be to their chances. I can't remember if it was Joe or Graham who was arguing. I think it was Joe who was saying, if you want Shaw to miss one game, it is probably the Panama game. And for Mm. a good chunk of this one, I wasn't sure that was going to end up being the case. But that they find a way to get through this one with the win. Now you have a rested Bunny Shaw going up against a somewhat desperate Brazil if you're Jamaica, I think you make this physical, you make it a CONCACAF game, you slow it way, way down, you delay as much as you can, you frustrate Brazil, and then you do what you did against France and look for Bunny Shaw and let her just wreak havoc on that defense. It's going to be a really fascinating game because one team 
will want to play Jogo Bonito and keep the ball moving and score a bunch of goals. And one team will want to slow it down and frustrate their opponent. And you never know which one is going to end up winning in that battle. But I think that will make for a compelling game, even if it doesn't at times seem like the most... uh, aesthetically pleasing of games absolutely so we'll get to jamaica's win over panada very panada jamaica's <laughs> win over panama very shortly they did have a panda in goal that was confusing yeah <laughs> oh it's been a long life and uh, sweden's <laughs> win over italy as well before we get to take a break though taylor um just in your opinion how many crisp white shirts has Ervinar brought to Australia and New Zealand? And is it just the one he dried out from the first game? Is one for the second one? Is it a luck thing? I don't know. I, I wonder this. And and do you think is he a reverse Steve Jobs? Like does does he only wear that shirt so he doesn't have to think about it? Because mm-hmm. if not, then I don't know how many he brought, but I hope it was. Like, do you think it was enough for the whole tournament? Do you think it was for like forty five? Does he have forty five white shirts hanging up in a closet? That would be a lot to have to travel with. But maybe when you've got a team launder or a uh, a team laundry, maybe they can handle that for you. But yeah, yeah. The, the crisp, clean white came back out. The always semi-unbuttoned came back out. No mm. rain this time, so he didn't have to don a parka halfway through. That's and right. maybe that was also the difference maker for France. Yeah, that that quite well could have been. It just depends how superstitious he is, though, Taylor, because if he's got one that's lucky, he's always wearing that one. So you never know. <laughs> so, someone I, needs that, to ask this at a press conference, it cannot, basically. It cannot be. He cannot have one lucky shirt and it stays that crisp and white. If he does, he has figured out a secret to laundry that I need to know. <laughs> Ryan, the other good news is because this is Saturday, we don't have to take a break if we don't want to. We can just keep it rolling, baby. Oh, let's do that then, shall we? <laughs> yeah. Or how about we do this? Uh, listen, we're taking a break now. Uh, press pause if you need to go get a coffee. <laughs> and we're back! Uh, Taylor, do you want to go to Sweden, Italy, or would you like to go to Panama, Jamaica? Which one would you like to do now? I mean, I feel like you're going to be excited to talk about Italy losing in dramatic fashion. Oh, come guess. on. That's unfair. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, Sweden 5, Italy nil. 29,000 in Wellington for this one. Wellington, by the way, Tater, a uh, 2, uh, 212,000 population. So like over 10% of the population represented wow. in this stadium. That's pretty good, isn't it? I think it was great. pretty good. I thought yeah. Italy were pretty good for about 40 minutes of this game. I, I So I did not watch this one live. So I will, I will add that up front. I watched it on replay. And knowing that it was 5-0 going in, I, I didn't look at when the goals were scored. I just knew the final score. And so I was sort of watching from, okay, when are Italy going to concede? When are Sweden going to take? The- so initially, I thought like, oh, Sweden are just going to be dominant from the jump. They were not. Then I thought, okay, when are Sweden going to hit on the break? They didn't. And even in the moments when it seemed like Italy were finally going to going to allow a, a goal, they didn't. And they held on and they kept playing well. The only thing I noticed is that for as good as Italy was in possession and how often they sort of evaded whatever Sweden was trying to do, once they got into the final third. Not as many clear-cut opportunities, Mm. not as many shooting chances. And I think that is very much a strength of this Sweden team is how they can defend, how they can make your life really difficult if you are the attacking team trying to play through. And then they did what tournament teams do, which is capitalize on set pieces because it was, what, nil-nil in the 37th, and by halftime it's 3-0, two of those coming from corner kicks. Uh, I really find what Sweden do fascinating just because it's not really a design set piece when it comes to corners it's not master set piece theater it's put five players in a (laughs) diagonal line across the six yard box not the 18 but it's from like just outside the near post to about 
the middle of the goal, there are usually five Swedish players right there. And then you just hit an in-swinging ball right at the goalkeeper and you hope for chaos. And in chaos, I guess Sweden thrives because there's yeah. one at the near post that's headed in directly. And then there's one that I think is actually flicked on by Barbara Bonansea, the Italian yeah. uh, attacker. She flicks it onto the back post uh, where it is then a goal for Rolfel and Sweden up 2-0. And then you can see the full-on Italy panic from there. The second corner, I believe, coming from... Uh, a mistake from Italy. I think it's that horrible back pass that leads to the uh, the goalkeeper Durante off her line. It's a great tackle. The resulting shot deflected wide for the corner, and then it's a goal. And then just another bad, uh, bad, bad, bad play for uh, for Italy. Makes it 3-0 at halftime, and at that point, it felt very much over. It did indeed. Uh, Taylor, at the end of the broadcast on the BBC, they quickly showed all the five goals together, and it was like, they, they've showed a repeat of the same thing, haven't they? Here? Because first, first two goals and the fourth goal, as you say, yep. from a corner. The fifth goal even comes from an Italian corner on the brain. It's like <laughs> corners on the brain for this Italian side. It was incredible, as you say. It wasn't. It wasn't. There was. There was no uh, miraculous uh, <laughs> strategy going yep. on here. It was just a ball going in the mixer and Italy not at all being able to yep. deal with it. It was yep. incredible. It was Sweden uh, being tall. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is basically, is basically <laughs> what the brilliance of this game was. Yeah, and also can we give credit? to the third goal uh, from yes. Stina Blackstenius because it was this beautiful passing movement. It was sort of triangles going up the right flank. Yeah. Uh, they made it look easy, really. It, it reminded me of almost like the Arsenal PlayStation goal from the Jack yep. Wilshere one from yep. back in the day. Mm-hmm. It was those. It was training. It was training stuff, wasn't it? It was these little triangles going up and up, and it was just lovely. Yep. It's a it's a fifteen pass sequence by my count, uh, and it starts with them regaining possession around midfield. It's some individual work from uh, Rubinson to dribble one way, then the other, then the other again. But then from that moment on, it's a lot of quick touches, it's a lot of quick passes. Credit especially to uh, Kosovarias Lani, uh, the number ten for Sweden, who. When she is on the ball, she can take a bunch of touches and be very silky, but she can also just play very simple one and two touch passes to just pull the defender out or make a defender shift where she wants them to go. And then also very good off the ball running from Sweden so that those combinations never slowed down. It felt like once the ball started rolling, it just kept going faster and faster and faster. Italy kept sort of having to retreat and panic defend. And I think in that panic in the gaps that open up as a result Sweden exploited that for the goal so it's yeah three set piece goals it's one on the counter but this goal I think was a reminder that this Sweden team is very very good when they start moving the ball and sort of back themselves to play combination soccer versus Sheena Blackstenius is up top and she's very good just hit it long and we'll see what happens that Mm. felt like what they were doing over and over and over again for the first 30 to 35 minutes and then once they slowed it down got some possession for some corners the game changed definitely so uh, we got the best glimpse of sweden i suppose at their best uh in in this game which is a very yeah. uh strange sentence to say but you know they're ranked third in the world they they were so physical they were they were strong at set pieces as you say they just seemed like a really really good team who could absolutely play it beautifully on the floor as well they had everything going on in this one but no thanks to once again i'm sorry but it was the italians didn't quite do it here I'll, they were like an italian car taylor were italy because they started well but they quickly fell apart basically <laughs> they, they they just capitulated the, the, one of my favorite comments uh i saw on reddit was this is got to be the worst thing to happen to italians since they realized the rest of the world drinks milk coffee after 11 a.m uh, <laughs> i what you've made me remember is the jack donaghy from 30 rock line of the italians have a saying uh keep your friends close and your enemies closer and though they've never mass produced a car or won a war 
are in this regard, they are correct. I guess they wanted to keep their friends close by assisting Fristina Blackstenius. That mm. second goal, for people who have not seen it, the 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 play that uh, precedes it, I already talked about it briefly, is just the exact reason why you don't want to concede when Italy conceded because they played so well. It seemed like things were going in the right direction. Number three team in the world is not really creating at all against you. They're having to go long. They're playing really direct. You are dominating possession. You look like the more technical team. Then you concede. And that happens. It's off a set piece. They could have done better. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe Sweden are just too tall. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but what you need to do then is shut up shop, get to halftime. Then you can do some problem solving. What you can't do is panic. And that is straight up what they did. It's uh, Di Giuliano, the right back, who goes for a back pass, isn't really under any pressure or not under that much pressure. And it needs to be a 30 to 40 yard pass back towards uh, Durante, the goalkeeper. And instead it's it's, it is really like a perfect ball for Stina Blaxenius to run onto. It's maybe 15 or 20 yards. Uh, she takes a slightly heavy touch, and Durante slides in and makes an inch, like an inch perfect tackle, wins the ball cleanly. I love Blaxenius getting up and complaining that she'd been fouled, and it was hmm. like, no, 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 no. You got, you got stuck. You got posterized. But then the shot deflecting wide, and we get the corner from there, and now it's 2-0. But just those cracks opening up the way they did, I think that made the difference in how this game played out. Because 1-0 at halftime, you can come back from, things can be okay. 3-0 at halftime is damage control from there on out. I I do think, uh, because I was the one who did the preview of Italy, I thought they would put a better showing out than they had thus far, I think it's probably fair to say. Uh, I was looking back at what I said in that initial episode. So they like to have the ball, they like to play out from the back, and they like to press with numbers, which all sounds very sexy and great, which is what we want to see from every team. Averaging, they've averaged 55% possession over the last year in all games. It was 54.1 today. They had the majority, and they were almost bang on with the amount of time they liked to have the ball. They just didn't do very much with it. And I I noted that they like to play high up the pitch, and sometimes they get struggle in defensive transition. I think we saw them very much getting caught out on the break from one of their own corners in this game. And by the way, um, it was, I think, Lanzini who was trying to chase down Blomqvist for that fifth goal. Uh, allows Blomqvist to run across her and still doesn't put in a challenge. It's like, yeah, don't, don't do that. Try and get the ball. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's a risky strategy, Ryan. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we can uh, fully roll with that one. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, and, and to go a little more into it, like we, we noted that this team has left out some of its biggest players. Uh, Martina Piemonte, not here, and, and, and Sarah Gama, uh, the Juventus mm-hmm. captain, the defender, who might have had a bit more wisdom at the back for this team. Who knows? Uh, Milena Bertolini made some choices for this squad, essentially, uh, which she said she does justify for technical and tactical reasons. But um, how's that looking? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think if you can build on this World Cup, even if you don't get out of the group, I still think there's a pretty good chance they will, Italy. Mm. Uh, But even if they don't, if you build on this one and this is useful experience for the upcoming Euros or for the next World Cup, then maybe it ends up being the right call to get some young players in to get them more experienced and to play the way you want to play. At the same time, this feels like a group in which they could have advanced, which would do a lot for the program. So to then potentially not do so you do wonder about some of the selections but i think yeah. they are still in a good enough position that scoreline is just very unflattering it is indeed uh but the, the, as you say taylor the the table reasonably flattering in mm-hmm. group g sweden with six italy with three south africa and argentina with one at the moment a draw against south africa will be enough for italy to qualify if sweden beat argentina uh but that, a win feel, over that feels like a, a 
a when and not an if. Uh, yeah. and I say that as the person who previewed Argentina and hyped them up a lot. Mm. You never know. Maybe Sweden are resting players. Maybe Argentina have figured it all out. But if if you were going to be two of the four teams in this group, I'm guessing you would like to be Sweden uh, because they've already got the points they need. Yeah. And then you'd probably want to be Italy playing South Africa as opposed to Argentina needing to beat Sweden. Indeed, indeed. Uh, they are, Italy are in the semi, semi catbird seat, I guess <laughs> we can call it. Italy very much, uh, Sweden very much in that seat. They're going to face one of the US, the Netherlands, or Portugal in the knockout stage. Uh, likely the Netherlands, if things shake out how they should. So that could be a pretty decent matchup, too. I wouldn't mind that. Uh, for a number of reasons, I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, I wouldn't mind the US avoiding Sweden in the round yeah. of 16, too. That, frankly, one of them. <laughs> that would be the, the, the principal one here. Uh, Taylor, any more on this game before we move on to Panama, Jamaica? No, ju- just that I think if Sweden do end up making a run, I think this game, not just because of the scoreline, but because it was a, it was a game, it would be a very important game for Sweden uh, because of how they did not look particularly good. They did not look like a a sort of unified team, and then they get the goal, and from there it felt like a much more logical uh, play. It felt like a much like much more logical approach, and they just mm-hmm. felt more together as a team, better combinations, quicker passing. So I think if they continue to build on that, mo- that momentum, we'll look back on this game as being a huge reason why they were able to make a run. Marvelous stuff. One more game to cover in this here episode, and that is the aforementioned Panama Nil. Jamaica won a rare all CONCACAF World Cup matchup for us, Tate. Very Only good the stuff. second, John Strong told us seven times. Did he say? Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah, you were, you were uh, between that and uh, the, uh, Jamaica only needing a draw against Brazil to advance if they are able to get a goal. That was said many times in the first half, many times in the second half, and several times at halftime. Ah, well, they bear repeating, I suppose. Uh, Alison Swaby with the header from a corner in this one. One of the two Swaby centre-backs, which is always nice to have. Uh, Jamaica also denied a late penalty, which looked like a penalty, but hey. uh, Do do we know any... I'm assuming we got really, really good detailed VAR explanations for that one. I'll admit I had a toddler uh, demanding I put the dog leash on her stuffed monkey in this moment. It was a very specific moment over at the Rockwell household. So I missed why this was not given. To me, it was given as a penalty. It looked like a penalty. It looked like a handball. It looked like a handball right inside the box, mm-hmm. but not given. I confused. Uh, I confused also. Uh, UK broadcast also confused, Tater, okay, cool. was the uh, the takeaway from that situation. <laughs> was, uh, what, it, if they, what if the center ref was like, uh, it would be a penalty, but we want drama. So no penalty. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, Panama will get a penalty. Let's let's open this, <laughs> this up a little bit. Maybe so. Uh, the I believe the bro- uh, the commentator on the UK uh, broadcast said, uh, I would have bet my house on that being a penalty. So yeah. there you go. Interesting that's, stuff. That's why you don't bet houses. That's why you don't bet houses on uh, soccer games indeed. Uh, this one, Taylor, particularly towards the end, it seemed pretty frenetic. I wouldn't, yeah. say, I wouldn't say composure was the name uh, of the game uh, in this game at all. No. I mean, which is, I guess, a credit to Jamaica that they get the the goal they needed and then see it out the way they needed to. Uh, But I don't think it was the most uh, pretty of games. It's Mm. definitely not one that I'm going to remember for too long. Uh, But in there, I thought there were some uh, good individual performances for Jamaica, especially in the absence of uh, Bunny Shaw, who, as I said, will be back and rested and ready to go. We got lots of cuts to her on the sideline, almost always looking pretty jovial, which I think is probably the energy you want in a game when you're not playing but you are the leader of the talisman of that of that team to just sort of have that relaxed like ah, it's all gonna be good vibes I, i'm gonna guess was was useful 
But I thought maybe more useful than an, than an intangible like that would be Jody Brown, who uh, I, seemed to be Jamaica's player most capable of creating something from nothing, of taking people on, of getting around Panamanian defenders, of beating Panamanian defenders to the ball. I thought she was excellent in this game in the chances she created, but also just in the way that she, on her own, was able to alleviate pressure, carry the ball forward, and make Panama uncomfortable routinely made defenders uncomfortable on an individual basis, but then also made the the defenders as a unit have to move over to deal with her more often so that other players then had time and space. I thought uh, she was probably the best performer on the day for Jamaica, though I thought uh, Primus was pretty excellent. Sampson, not bad as a holding midfielder by herself at times, then part of a, a midfield two. Uh, she has that shot that almost goes in. It's a great save uh, to deny her. And, and I think if Panama had been able to see this one out, either getting a win or getting a draw... Credit to Bailey, the goalkeeper, for some of those saves. There's the other one that goes off of the crossbar just before halftime that I'm, it was given as a goal kick. I'm inclined to say that she got just a touch to it to push it onto the bar. So I thought she was probably Panama's best performer, but I thought uh, some stronger performers for Jamaica. Always nice to heat praise on a Bailey, I find, on a Saturday. <laughs> so that's the uh, way I go. Also, uh, I want to mention, uh, I forget her first name. Uh, Simmons, who subbed on? I, I should know her first name. JK. I'll look it up. <laughs> yes, it was. Just keep Simmonsing. Uh, <laughs> subs on. No, it was uh, Cameron Simmons. Yeah, nineteen-year-old uh, subs on for McKenna, so she replaces her and is the number nine. Where's number nine? Is from uh, Richmond. Didn't know that. Uh, went, went to the high school like right around the corner from us. Uh, so Richmond representing the James River Rapids being represented. Uh, that would be the high school that she went to. But now she's playing for Jamaica, playing in a Women's World Cup. I'm gonna guess it's a step up from the. Like, Colonial District, I think, is the district that James River plays in. So, who knows? Maybe they're the same. Hang but on. I feel like okay. playing in a World Cup slightly better. Taylor, we've got to stop here. I let uh-huh. Monkey on a Leash fly earlier, yeah. uh-huh. but James River Rapids High School? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's- so, Richmond, built on the James River, um, which I am reliably informed looks like uh, the Thames, specifically Richmond-upon-Thames, which is why we're named huh? Richmond, because from one bend, they look very similar. Really? I've seen the comparison pictures, and they don't look that similar, but who knows? Uh, oh. Yes, and then James River High School is more or less right on the river itself, so they are the James River Rapids. Uh, and then their football coach, when he wanted them to be the Florida Gators, renamed their stadium The Swamp. So you've got a river and you've got a swamp all in one at James River High School. Wow. I, I was hoping there was some adventurer called James River Rapids, uh, <laughs> and it was named after his uh, his exploits somewhere. Uh, there's a James in there, right? No, I forget why it's why it's the James River. Um, probably King James or Prince James or something like that. Who knows? Yeah, we gave you a Kevin lot. James. We get it's it. named we get after it. Kevin James. <laughs> it's named after yes. Kevin James. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it's just off of the uh, Moorcock tributaries, I believe. It, yeah. it, yes, exactly. It's yeah. it, weirdly they waited until Paul Paul Blart Mallcop two to rename the river after <laughs> Kevin James. That was where they knew that he would be an institution. Well, of course, it was the best one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's no, no reason not to. Um, Panama for a lot of this game, Taylor uh, in a back five. It seemed, which I thought without with no Bunny Shaw seemed interesting but it was, mm-hmm. i think it was drew spence who was sort of getting the most creative role and having a lot of the challenges as you mentioned most touches in the first half i believe uh Shaw had uh and was the best outlet so it's i think we were guilty or i was guilty of calling jamaica a one-person team in mm-hmm. the first outing and that's clearly not the case so that's great I, I yeah i think it doesn't have to be the case uh but I, but i think when shaw comes back in 
she will be the focal point. She will be the one who has the physicality to be able to play up top by herself and hold off defenders to to create opportunities for herself or for the team. But then also is just a uh, a lightning rod for defenders that then uh, like allows other players to have maybe just a few more yards of space to make some chances or like to attack into and create something from nothing. So I think she remains their most important player. But yeah, we saw on the day that she is not their only player. I think that's well said, Ryan. Yes, indeed. All right. As you mentioned, there are permutations for this third round with mm-hmm. uh, France and Jamaica on four points, Brazil on three. Panama eliminated with zero points on uh, on this one. Jamaica versus no Brazil. Point. Indeed. Vraiment. Uh, Jamaica versus Brazil on Wednesday. Big, big game. Draw will do it for Jamaica, as John Strong noted. Uh, Ryan, why do we have four games between now and the next time we speak? Can we talk about that for a moment? I'm, huh? I'm, I'm slightly nervous, especially with two of them kicking off at the exact same time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> did you forget about that? Because I yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. And it's not even, we don't even have the luxury of, like, we have uh, the simultaneous kickoffs in both groups. So at the very least, it's like there's two time frames that you have to pay attention to. Uh, uh, one group still has games to play. So you have a, like, uh, a like 3 a.m. kickoff, a 5 a.m. kickoff, and then you've got dual kickoffs for Group A, I believe it is. So four games that we're going to get to talk about tomorrow. Ryan is just staring off into space looking exhausted. <laughs> no, I'm, I, no, that's really good. That's great news. No, that's really good. L- listeners, just the, like... The lack of energy and complete defeated sadness for Ryan was incredible. <laughs> As you say, Taylor, we're not down the coal mine. This is good stuff. It's I'm, true. I'm, I'm happy this with true. that. I'm happy with that. On that note, should we give some very specific predictions for uh, a, a slate of tomorrow's you games? Sounded like, you sounded like a hostage being, <laughs> being made to say that you're enjoying yourself. Oh, I was literally thinking, I don't have enough screens. I know. That's where I am with it. It's like, I can't. I'm going to have to stay up, aren't I? I think one of them kicks off at 1230 Eastern. So maybe I'll pull a Ruffin and stay up for that one and drink a whole bunch of chemicals and see where I end up tomorrow morning. Oh, boy. All yeah. right. On that note, your mm-hmm. VSP uh, for the next round of games, please stay tuned. Yeah, uh, I'm going to focus on one of the uh, the simultaneous kickoff games. Uh, Switzerland versus New Zealand. Both of them hoping for results to be able to get through. Uh, I think this is going to be a not very good game until the second half, and specifically until the latter stages of the second half, when I think there's going to be a lot to play for one way or the other. If Switzerland's up, I think New Zealand will be throwing everything they can at this one. Uh, If New Zealand is up, Switzerland vice versa, and if it's a draw, then there's like stuff to play for for both of them. So I think it's going to be a very, very big finish to this one. I think there will be a goal or a big VAR decision in the final 15 minutes of this game. And if that happened, if it's Switzerland doing it, then I think I get a double point because my prediction, my preview prediction for Switzerland was that they would score in the final 15 minutes. So I'm doubling down, but then adding New Zealand to this because I could also see a situation in which it's nil-nil. New Zealand are pushing for a goal, and that means they're just throwing everything at it. And it's like a Hannah Wilkinson header in the dying minutes, and then uh, drama ensues. I like it. I like that very much. And at least you have a legitimate reason for double points, not um, I just feel like I should earn double points, which is the way I would have gone. That kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, my VSP, Taylor, Germany versus Colombia, which I believe is 5.30 Eastern on Sunday morning. Uh, I am saying Alex Pop 
Alexander Pop will win more aerial duels than Jorelin Carabali, who is, of course, a Colombian uh, centre-back. Uh, Carabali was very much a rock in the opener against Korea. She won seven aerial duels. Pop only won two in Germany's opener. You might be thinking, Ryan, that means Carabali will probably get more than Pop. But no, Pop is... Quite a lot taller than Carabelli. She's a, a, well, not a lot taller. 1.74 metres compared to 1.7 metres. Uh, Carabelli was taller than the Korean attack in the previous game. Pop has already scored two headers, more importantly. She's a big, big aerial threat. I think she wins much more in this one. So she's going to win more aerial duels than the star uh, uh, Colombian centre-back, in my opinion. Amor Navi. I think that's a lovely shout. Uh, my friend, uh, I am not going to claim this one if it happens, but I also think Pop is going to be fouled early and often in this game. And I think mm-hmm. the same will go for Myra Ramirez, the very strong, tall, physical uh, and, and technically good uh, Columbia attacker. I, I was going to say both of them will have uh, combined for seven or more fouls against, uh, even though they are both quite big. And so sometimes you get players not picking up fouls when they are. Uh, the stronger of the two players going into a challenge. I think both of them are going to be fouled a lot in this game from a professional foul standpoint, but also just contesting for 50-50s. I can see defenders getting frustrated and knocking him around, some pushes in the back and the like. So I think there's going to be a number of fouls on both of those players in this game. Yep, I like that. Um, I'm, apologies if we've brought this up before. Does does Alex Pop have Thomas Muller vibes for you? In terms of round doitiness, in, yeah. in terms of aerial presence, mm-hmm. in terms of intelligence... It's it's the it's the showing up in like micro spaces the way she does for the right. the diving header that I think was it Graham was saying it goes off of her shoulder actually but then Graham was saying maybe she meant to do it with her shoulder uh, but it's it's the way she's able to sort of identify where the ball is going to end up and get into that space yeah that is a very Thomas Muller thing it's the Muller hello it's showing up in unexpected areas to get a goal or get an assist and I think Pop is very good at judging where delivery is going to be and how to get on the end of it ahead of a defender that's yeah. a great shot right and I like that one a lot thank you very much she yes, has sir. on the field what the Germans call intelligence which in English is intelligence too. oh interesting I had yeah. no idea I thought yeah. that meant salmon uh, no, you haven't been doing enough Duolingo, evidently. <laughs> uh, let's wrap it up there, Taylor. I think we've done some excellent World Cup dealing, if I don't say so myself today. Straight through, no breaks, hardcore. Well done, Taylor Rockwell. Thank you very much. Well done to you, my friend. Uh, always intriguing how this is going to go with just the two of us on very little sleep uh, and you having watched <laughs> all the games thus far. But well done, Ryan Bailey. Uh, hosting is always a challenge. Hosting when you also have to do a bunch of contributing because you are the only other or like one of two people is even more challenging well done my friend thank you very much indeed listener we'll be back tomorrow i believe we'll have an awesome foursome back tomorrow if uh i think it's just you me and graham i think joe okay. is off joe has decided a weekend would be nice tremendous trio it is tomorrow <laughs> graham rutherford joining us listener thank you very much for joining us indeed we'll be back then but for now bye <laughs>